Well, if you would, go ahead and pull out your Bibles and turn to Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, this morning I want us to read beginning in verse 1 so that the passage that we look at this morning is uh, read in the context of what we looked at together last week. So if you would uh, read with me beginning in Second Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Peter says there in verse 5, as he begins, for this very reason. This is a a thought of transition to be able to look back on what he has said up to this point. Based on what I've told you, based on his divine power that has granted you everything for life and godliness, based on those precious and magnificent promises, based on these things, apply all diligence in your faith. What Peter is saying here is that you and I have a responsibility He's telling us that that spiritual maturity is a choice. It is an active pursuit. As we talked about this summer, growing in godliness is a discipline. And so having described what God has done, Peter now turns his attention to what we are called to do with what we have been given. It's important for us to understand as we examine his instruction this morning to to look at it in the context of that motivation of Peter writing this letter to begin with. You remember, he's he's writing to a church to prepare them for the tsunami-sized wave of false teaching that was headed their way. His letter is intended to be a wake-up call for comfortable Christians who live within a society of tolerance because when the wave of compromise hits it's always the weak and the unprepared who were taken out by the storm you see it'll convince couples who are having a difficult in their marriage just to give up it'll convince parents to choose career over family in pursuit of financial freedom it will convince the church to water down the message of Jesus Christ in order to be more acceptable in the eyes of men. Peter says in chapter 3, very candidly, I am writing to stir you up. He, He challenges us to be on guard. He warns us not to be spiritually lazy, lest we be carried away by the error of unprincipled men. You see, on one hand, Peter says, you have everything you need for life and godliness. But he's also quick to clarify that with that, you have a responsibility. You have to take what you've 
been given and to, to actively pursue a life that is pleasing to God. Or as Peter says, to grow in the grace of knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This past week, and you'll understand why as we go through our passage this morning, I, I thought back to when Terry and I just first got married and not too long after that we had our first home together that was ours. We actually were able to watch it being built from the ground up. And I remember going out there to that vacant lot of dirt among a lot of other vacant lots of dirt. And then the next day coming out and voila, there was the foundation. I mean, that fast. And I remember standing there looking at that thinking, that was fast. This is going to take less than a week for them to finish this thing. (laughs) Months later, as we were still going out to this place where the house was being built, we began to change our tune a little bit and think, they are never going to finish this thing. It's taken forever. I mention it because it reminds me of our Christian life. We all remember the excitement that we had as a new believer. (laughs) We were going to change the world for Jesus. But then we realize there's a lot that needs to change in me before I can make an impact on the world. The foundation of our faith has been laid in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need to build our house of faith. All the materials have been given to us by no effort of our own. But we still need the architect to show us how everything fits together we are dependent upon him because the construction of a godly life is a lifelong process because that's what we'll look at next that's what peter does as he walks through this list of virtues he's describing the responsibility that we have according to god's design in building that house of faith By using the resources that he has given to us. Everything we need for life and godliness. So look again at 2 Peter. Read with me beginning in verse 5. Now, for this reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. This is where Peter is going to walk us through the construction of a godly life. Knowing that we have everything we need, he now demonstrates how some of these things fit together. It's not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are some important pieces in our house of faith. As we look at this, instead of just going through a list of virtues, I want us to examine this kind of in the context of building that house of faith, of constructing a life of godliness. Let me show you what I mean. Let's start with the first thing he lists here, moral excellence. This word is actually the same word that 
Peter uses back in verse 3 when he describes the glory and excellence, same word, of Jesus Christ. It brings with it this idea of moral integrity. The decision that we have made to leave the lust of the world to pursue the virtues that we see in Christ. Basically, what, what Peter is saying here is that our life should be patterned based on what we have observed in the life of Christ. The framing of our house, if you will, should follow the blueprint of his example. The core of who we are should mirror who he is. We should love as he loves. We should forgive as he forgives. We should serve as he serves. I personally think this is liberating to know that we don't have to come up with some new and, and creative design for our life in order to be, have meaning and, and purpose. Instead, we are called to follow the example we see in Christ knowing that he is the blueprint from which we build our house. And we do this, Peter says, by growing in knowledge. Now, I told you that that word knowledge is one of his favorite words. It's repeated all through his letter. But what we don't appreciate in our English translations is the difference in that word as he goes through the letter. This is a little bit different than what we looked at in verses 2 and 3. Here the word he uses that we translate as knowledge means discernment or or wisdom. It it brings with it this idea of of careful consideration of the decisions that you make. When I correlate this to our imagery of building a house, this reminds me of of the wiring, the, the electrical within a house. Now, I don't know about you, but dealing with electricity kind of scares me. (laughs) Because if you don't know what you're doing, you can really get hurt in a hurry. And when building a home, how that home is wired requires a lot of forethought. What will go to the lights and what will go to the appliances? What switch activates what light in what room? And what wiring goes to the electrical socket that needs to be 110 and what goes to 220? That makes a a big difference. It's a very deliberate process, which is very much like the application of wisdom and discernment in our own life. I would describe wisdom as, as the careful consideration of the decisions you make and the forethought you give to the consequence of that decision in your walk with Christ. This is the consideration that you give to discerning God's will in your life and then the decision you make to align yourself with that will. But just like in a house, everything can be in all the right order, each wire going to its intended destination, everything in its right place. But until those wires are hooked up to the power source, they can do absolutely nothing. And the same is true for you and I. The Scripture tells us that He is the vine, that we are the branches, and that apart from Him we can do nothing. It is His divine power that brings life and and makes things work as He intended. Unless we are connected to Him, it just doesn't work. 
we follow the blueprint of his example. We apply wisdom to, to align our will to his and then the decision to, to follow that. And then Peter says, for all this to happen, we need to apply self-control. I don't know if this is true for you, but if you're like me, when you go into a, a new home that's being constructed and you see the foundation and the frameworks there, you might see the wiring going through the walls, it's still difficult for me to walk through a house like that and to know what's what, right? <laughs> Which one's the living room and, and where does one room end and another one begin and, and, and how does all this fit together? But that all changes when the sheetrock begins to go up. Now the rooms begin to take shape and the spaces are defined. The sheetrock is what delineates the boundaries and, and really distinguishes one room from another. Now I can tell when I walk through a house that has the sheetrock up, which room is the kitchen, which room is the bedroom, and how one room ends and another one begins. You see, that's how self-control works. It creates boundaries and defines space in your life. It's the discipline that we apply to our life so that, that ordinary desires do not become inordinate idols. Because without self-control, normal sexual desires turn into lust. Financial stewardship turns into greed. Success turns into selfishness. Ordinary desires become inordinate idols in the absence of self-control. You see, self-control is what establishes the boundaries. It allows us to to determine how far our emotions can go to remain healthy and useful in a life of godliness. Self-control is what keeps us from getting carried away by those deceitful doctrines that the Scripture so often speaks of. And it's why, as Peter lists these qualities, it is the prerequisite to perseverance. That's the next verse you in Paul, Peter's list. Because if you think about it, it's really not possible to have perseverance without self-control. Perseverance brings with it this idea of, of staying the course, of standing your ground. Even in the midst of temptation and trials, your eyes are fixed on Jesus, who is who? The architect and perfecter of your faith. The one who perseveres is the one who is undistracted by the world. When I relate this to our building of the house of faith, I'm reminded of, of painting. <laughs> How many of you like to paint? I don't like to paint. Painting is a long and laborious process, right? You've got to prime it, sand it, paint it, wait a while, come back, maybe tape off, paint again, sand it again, wait some more. You understand, it's a long and laborious process. In my mind, painting takes perseverance, and that's not something that I do too well at times. But that being said, I will have to admit that when you have a room that has been painted, that room is transformed. <laughs> because color brings life and, and character to a room that's been painted. That's why we do it. That's why we change colors in our rooms, right? You see, 
perseverance has that same effect on our life as well. Listen what Paul says to the Romans when he writes. He says, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance. There it is. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Paul is teaching us in this context that that perseverance is what transforms our life. Perseverance is where we test the promises of God and find that they are true. And knowing that they are true, we find hope. A hope that does not disappoint because we now know from our own experience that He is faithful. What we knew in our head at one time through our experience, we now believe in our heart. It can often be a long and difficult process. But trials that we endure are often the ways that God can most effectively bring color to our character. Perseverance is where we see the real beauty of a transformed life in Jesus Christ. And here's where we see that growth in godliness. It's the same word that Peter used earlier in his letter. That word, godliness. Peter here uses the word to to describe a, a key characteristic of a life that is committed to following Christ. I believe he he looks at this internal change that takes place because of a proven character who has persevered through difficult times. And he said, godliness is that quality in your life that identifies who is the architect of your faith. Because if you think about it, when someone identifies you as a godly person, they are speaking to something about who you are on the inside. Something that that is true about you on the inside that impacts how you relate to others on the outside. Because you don't declare yourself to be a godly person. Godliness works from the inside out. For me, this is what I attribute to being like the the cabinets and the closets in your home. Places you don't often see, but in them are hidden some of the necessities of life. Things like food. The things that we might clean with or cook with. These are items that you pull out for a specific need at a specific point in time. And when it comes to your character, these are the right words spoken at the right time in order that it may give grace to those who hear. It is your speech that is seasoned with salt so that you are gracious and sensitive to care for others in their time of need. As you follow this progression of of Peter's list, this is where a transition begins to take place. Up to this point, he's, he's listed qualities that you have on the inside, something to do with your internal character, the internal framework, if you will, of your life that is built on that foundation of your faith in Jesus Christ. But now Peter explains how the inside of us begins to impact the outside of those people around us. Godliness, he then goes on to describe, is what leads to brotherly kindness. 
Here the word is, is Philadelphia. It's a word that describes our love for others, uh, uh, those of which we have something in common with. In this context, Peter is referring to the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who, who like us, have committed their life to following Christ. When I think about this, this is where I, I think of the, the trim work on a home. Unlike painting, this really is one of my favorite parts of building a home because this is where things really come to life and you begin to see some of the unique character of a home. It's the fine detail in the embellishments, like the, the rattered edge on the side of a cabinet or, or the crown molding that goes inside of a room or the casing that goes over a door that is inviting you into that home. This is brotherly kindness. It is that winsome spirit that welcomes you into a friendship that is centered around the common goal of following Christ. It follows so naturally with what we've been talking about because good character always leads to good relationships. Just like poor character inevitably leads to poor relationships. Who you are on the inside cannot be separated from how you relate to others on the outside. See, John made that connection very clear when he wrote in 1 John these words. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, who you are on the inside, based on your relationship with God, simply cannot be separated from your relationship with others, especially when it comes to your relationship with those within the body of Christ. In fact, I'm convinced that, that disunity within the body of Christ, if not always, then for sure most of the time, ultimately relates itself back to some personal flaw in your walk with Christ. Scripture tells us, be devoted to one another in brotherly kindness. It's the same word. Give preference to one another in honor. So far as it is up to you, be at peace, it says, with all men. We sin, simply cannot fulfill these commands apart from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. A, a sincere love for others must flow out of a genuine love for God. Finally, Peter closes this list of virtues with what I call the, the crown of the Christian life, love. Here, the word he uses is agape. Agape love describes a, a sacrificial love. It is a love that puts the needs of others before your own. It is a love that loves the unlovely, the undeserving, the lost. This is the love of Christ, and it is the true sign of Christian maturity, selfless love. This is like the roof or the crown of your home. It reminds me of what we looked at together when we studied Philippians in the spring. When, when Paul writes in that letter, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. We remember how Paul wrote these words from prison, and yet he was convinced that his circumstances were turning out for the greater good of the gospel. 
we learned as we read that letter how Paul longed to be, to depart, to be with Christ, but yet he was convinced more so that God intended him to remain for the sake of others. We learn from that same letter that he calls us to, to, to mirror that attitude by instructing us to do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in everything, in humility of mind, let each of you consider the needs of others as more important than your own. This is agape love. And it is the crown of the Christian life. Because greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for his friend. Peter takes this list of virtues. These evidences of a, of a growing and maturing walk with Christ. Those who are constructing a godly life on the foundation of their faith in Jesus Christ. And look at what he says in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything you need, Peter says. The question is, are you growing and maturing in what has been given to you? Are you applying all diligence? Do these virtues, which are not an exhaustive list, but some of the ones that are really important for the evidences of a true Christian life, Does that describe you? Because if they are present and increasing, he says, let let me state what he says next in the positive. If these resources that God has given to you are in your life and are showing evidence of growth and maturity, then you need to know that you are, in fact, useful and fruitful in the true knowledge of Christ. In, In other words, when you are connected to the vine... His fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, will be evidenced in your life. This is important because it prevents us from from making the mistake of turning this list of virtues into a list of chores. Religious duties we perform in order to get an allowance of grace from God. That's not what this is. Remember. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Because of that, we should be diligent to build our house of faith with the resources that we have already been given. These attributes are, attributes are evidences of His work in your life as we actively pursue a relationship with Him, an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's the warning. Look at verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. This verse, I believe, describes two people. Those who are blind and those who are short-sighted. When the Bible describes someone who is blind, it is identifying someone who does not know Jesus Christ, who has not committed their life to the truth of who he is. This is an unbelieving person who has not committed themselves to following the Savior. And as a result, the verse tells us the virtues of Peter that he's listed will not be evidenced in that person's life. You will not see the light of Christ in a person's life who continues to walk in darkness. The fruit of the Spirit will not be manifest in those who do not 
have the Spirit. To me, this is very straightforward and consistent all throughout Scripture. But what about this next description? Ones who are short-sighted. The literal translation from the Greek literally means one who is willfully blind. Another way of looking at that is someone who has their eyes closed. Isn't that interesting? I believe this describes someone who has at one point in time put their faith and trust in Christ, but then have forgotten the depths from which they have been saved. As verse 9 says, they've forgotten the price that was paid for the forgiveness of their sins. This is someone who is spiritually mature, immature, and has been carried away by the lure of lesser things. They have become distracted by the world and the pleasures of life, which in the context of eternity is a very narrow and short-sighted view, isn't it? These are people that, that I think Peter may be trying to wake up, to open their eyes, and to see the destructive power of deceit in their lives when they choose not to examine his truth. This reminds me of what Paul writes to the Ephesians. Listen to what he says. It's a similar thought. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Both Peter and Paul are speaking the same message. They are calling the church of Jesus Christ to wake up and to grow up. This is so important for the church today because I believe there are way too many people walking around willfully blind. And when we shut our eyes to the truth, we fail to see the destruction of deceit in our lives. Therefore, we need to make a commitment. We need to be a body of Christ that is willing to open their eyes to see the truth and to be changed by it. Truth producing life. Let's be diligent to build our lives on the foundation of our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's commit ourselves to to constructing a godly life by abiding in the vine so that His life can be lived in us and through us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your instruction this morning. And at times, um, what seems to be a passage where the volume may be turned up a little bit, where you're speaking loudly in order to get our attention, and if we're asleep, to wake us up. And if we have our eyes closed, to open our eyes to see the truth so that we can live a life and to be diligent to construct a godly life on the foundation of the faith that we have in you, knowing that we we have everything. Those resources have been given to us. We don't have to look for them in order to build that house, to be creative in some new and unique design, but instead to follow you, the architect and perfecter of our faith. May we be diligent, Father, to 
live in the blessing, the magnificent and precious promises that you have given to us. May we experience them and know that they are true, not just with our head, but by believing them in our heart. For this we are grateful, for your promise of your love and protection. We pray these things in your name. Amen.